Welcome to Maximum Octane and your ride to the entrepreneur's evolution in the automotive industry. I'm your host, Kim Hickey, former shop owner turned industry educator, speaker, and entrepreneurial motivator. Each week during our ride together, you will hear unfiltered stories of inspiration and transformation shared by successful business owners and CEOs. Their experiences will motivate you to do things you never thought possible, encourage you to reach your full potential, and help you to exchange unproductive habits for productive ones. While many of my guests will be related to the automotive industry, it's crucial in the world of tomorrow that we stop being silos and we open our minds to ideas and inspiration from other industries as well. We also know that to be truly successful in business, you must have a healthy work and home life balance. All of my guests are handpicked with these crucial elements in mind. Our industry is evolving by the second, and we need to as well. Buckle up, because here we go. Hello, and welcome back, Maximum Octane. This is your host, Kim Hickey. I am back in the continental U.S. and uh, starting resuming my recordings from here. I am very grateful to be back in my home state and uh, for many reasons that we'll probably do a podcast on another another time. Joining me today is Paige Hazeltine. She is an attorney with the law firm of Alex Dell, and she's the head of the Workers' Comp Division. And uh, hi, hi, Paige. How are you? Hi, I'm great. How are you today? <laughs> I am just fantastic. I asked Paige to join us. We have We have a mutual... One of my dear friends is is Paige's mother-in-law now, and some of the stuff we talk about with business, she's like, you know, we really ought to have you talk to Paige because she's really knowledgeable about the stuff. But workers' comp, I think, is a mystery that for both whether you are the business owner or the person that gets injured, that it's like that case of you don't know what you don't know. And it's it's Unfortunately, a lot of people get their information off the internet or talking to a friend that had something similar happen in a completely different state, and they take that as gospel and all of that. So we're hoping today to take a little bit of the the mystery out of workers' comp. And Paige's law firm is in New York and in Florida, but like anything that we talk about anytime, you need to check with your local state in the laws there and get with somebody that knows pages contact information and the law firms will be in the comments when I post this. So if you have something in, in New York or Florida, you can reach out to, to, to them, but something otherwise. So Paige, you got to kind of see a little bit of the both sides. I, I know with your experience, which we'll talk about in one second, but you've been on both sides of the coin, but you actually had a, a visit to an emergency room the other day and and got to see a little bit. And so were you surprised at how confused us mere mortals are that are not attorneys at what the heck is workers' comp? What do you do? And Yeah, yeah. And workers' comp is, um, it's an animal in and of itself. I know that, you know, typically when you're injured or if you have any health problems, you would just go to the doctor and, you know, you get to choose whatever doctor you want to go to and you go through your health insurance and all of that. And a lot of times people don't even think, oh, well, this injury happened while I was on the job. Maybe I should have told my employer about it and then contacted the workers comp carrier. And there are a lot of complications that can arise if you don't provide notice to the employer and go through the workers' comp carrier just from the outset of the claim. 
because, for instance, in the state of Florida, uh, you have to go to the doctors that the workers' comp carrier authorizes. So essentially, they get to pick the facilities that you go to and receive treatment. So you can't just go to any urgent care or any orthopedic and then submit the bills just as you would with a normal health insurance. You have to, at the outset, get an appointment set up and go through the workers' comp carrier before you go to the appointments. Otherwise, you might not have that be covered through the workers' comp policy. So that's mistake number one that I can see happening a lot because one, a lot of us are like, we're not going to keep track of this or I'm not going to, I got a scratch or I got a whatever. I'm not reporting that to workers comp. I'm just go to my doctor, be done with it. But that can really snowball, right? Because one, if you didn't go to the right doctor, two, if you didn't report it, there, there's, there's a lot that comes out of that, right? Yeah. And there is that 30 day reporting deadline for workers comp claims. So even if you don't know right away that an injury might be related to something that happened at work, you still have a 30 day window where you can go to your own, let's say, for instance, an emergency room. And when you go in and you you get to talking with that doctor, the doctor ultimately says, you know, I think that this hernia that you have or this pain that you have in your wrist could be related to carpal tunnel or heavy lifting while you were on the job. And then that puts the injured worker on notice where they're like, oh my gosh, well, this could be a work-related injury. I need to tell my employer about it and then go through workers' comp. So it's not always cut and dry when it comes to the date that you know that the injury is work-related. Like for instance, if I'm driving a company vehicle, it's obvious I, I get into an accident and I have whiplash. That's probably, you know, within the course and scope of my employment, but then you have other things that might arise that you wouldn't have thought about. And um, you do have that 30 day window. And the rule is the 30 days will start running from when you knew or should have known that the injury was work related. So there is an argument to be made that it could even go beyond that 30 days if you never really knew that it was related to your job in the first place. Workers' comp has such a bad rap because we we all know and can tell tons of stories about a friend or a family member or neighbor that did a fake slip and fall at work or, you know, they were milking something and it's not really that bad in our opinion. Or So, so I think there's like a negativity around it, which prevents some people with legitimate claims of reporting it because they don't want to be one of those Oh yeah, they're out on workers' comp, wink, wink, and meanwhile they're you know outside mowing their lawn and you know making animal shapes out of their bushes. And so, what do you say to the people that employees that possibly you know have been hurt to not worry about getting that bad rap because they got hurt on the job? Right, and that's a question that I get a lot from a lot of different employees. For instance, if you have a really good relationship with your employer, you don't want to ruin it over filing a workers' compensation claim because like you said, it does get a bad rep. But when it comes down to the logistics of, I guess you could call it the administrative process for a workers' comp claim, typically you're not dealing with the employer themselves. So a lot of injured workers will, will say, 
well, I didn't want, you know, to get fired or have any kind of like a hostile work environment or retaliation because I filed a workers' comp claim and now my employer's concerned that their rates might go up or whatever the reason may be. Right. But typically from a representative of injured worker standpoint, I don't deal at all with the particular employers in question. So it's not going to be a very intimate conversation that's being had with your direct supervisor about what's going on with you, essentially, because, I mean, 90 percent of the time we all have a workers' comp carrier or a workers' comp insurance company that handles those types of things for you. So really, who you're going to be dealing with is the risk management um, agent or the claims adjuster for the insurance company. And that will be the person who will be your primary point of contact to schedule all of the appointments, send them copies of your medical records, and request the reimbursement for um, lost wages or anything like that. But when it comes to workers' comp, like you said, there is a bad rep where it's it's like, well, you know, so-and-so is on workers' comp, wink, wink. You have to keep in mind that, you know, you want to make it worth it. You don't want to be the person that cries wolf. Because if you do go right. in, you know, for, for a finger scratch and you know that, you know, it's just going to be like a one appointment thing, it's not worth it to go through the headaches of setting up a workers' compensation claim and going through the adjuster and essentially wasting everybody's time if you think you're fine. But if it's something that you think could have a permanent ramification for you, for instance, a, a broken leg, you might need a cast, you might need crutches, you might need um, a wheelchair if it's if it's bad enough. Um, those are definitely things that I would recommend going through workers' comp for. So, so what about if, let's just say a scratch, somebody gets a scratch, because I've seen cases where Somebody got a scratch and they didn't report it, but they were a diabetic. So something happened long-term to their foot or there was, you know, a hand. And so there was long-term issues from it. Should they first at least report it to their, their supervisor and say, I don't right now think this is anything big, but I just want to let you know I got a scratch or a cut. And if anything develops, I'll let you know. But in the meantime, I'm just going to handle it on our, my own. Should they still at least report it? 100% of the time, I would okay. recommend reporting it. As It might sound stupid and little, but I would always recommend reporting it. Even if it's just like, it doesn't have to be a formal report either. It can just be a simple email to whoever your supervisor is. Hey, I just wanted to let you know that this happened. I'm going to go get it checked out. I don't think it's a big deal. That's all it has to be. You know, it doesn't have to be an extensive, let me file a formal report and submit it through the insurance company and all of that. But like I said, you know, you have a time frame where, you know, it, you're covered, you know, you're covered. As long as you report it within that 30 day time frame, you're going to be covered if heaven forbid something should come up a year from now. So the, the way that the reporting rules work is you have to tell them within that 30-day time frame. And then it's going to be deemed considered proper notice 
with the insurance company. So heaven forbid you find out later on from your doctor that you have a diabetic reaction or issues with it because you're a diabetic, then you can still go through the workers comp carrier. And and on that, that's um that's another thing that I like to remind my clients of when it comes to just getting the medical care on your own and reporting through the workers comp carrier because sometimes if you have a work-related injury and you go to the doctor and say you don't tell them that it's work-related and you put everything through your own private health insurance, the health insurance will now be able to send any kind of a lien for any kind of um, medical treatment that you've received to the workers' comp carrier. So that can cause a problem between the two insurance companies when it comes to the resolution of who's paying for what. And that goes back to the new or should have known that it was work-related. Sometimes you find out you put things through your own personal health insurance at the outset, but then later find out that it should have gone through workers' comp. So what I like to recommend in order to remedy that, and I see a lot of employers do it, and I explained to you when I recently was at the urgent care, um, I didn't realize how many employers actually do this, but it's best to just contact a local urgent care facility, one that you like, one that you have a good relationship with, you think it's acceptable for your employees to go to for those types of things. So even if it's just a minor cut or scrape or something like that, they automatically know that they can go to that facility, get checked out. It might be just around the block from the office or the you know, auto body shop, whatever it may be, wherever the work is being done, wherever the injury took place to just get that initial appointment, submit it through workers comp and nothing might ever happen of it. But that way, you know, you have it documented and it's gone through the proper avenues versus dealing with liens between insurance companies and convoluted arguments as, you know, from the insurance company ultimately denying your claim saying, well, if you thought that this was work related, why did you go to the ER and put this under your own personal health insurance when you know that you should have told your employer in the first place? You know, now that you're mentioning it, I'm thinking about different times I was in the hospital or the urgent care or whatever, and there's always a, a section now that says, "Do you was this a result of a work-related injury or a car accident? It seems like those two things they want to know because, and is that why? Because then the insurance, they know right away that this somebody else is going to be responsible so, and, for it. And on that, they're, they're handled a little bit differently when it comes to just a typical personal injury car accident claim, because typically when it comes for um, cases like that, with cases like that, you wouldn't pay for the treatment at the outset for like a motor vehicle accident through your, say you have a GEICO policy. What would happen is it, with a case like that is, is you would go and get all of the treatment that you need. And then at the end of the day, you would submit all of your bills collectively to GEICO or whoever the car insurance company would be. And then they would ultimately pay for that in the long run with some kind of a settlement. But workers comp is more of a pay as you go system. 
So that's why you you pointed out the portion of the intake forms where it says who's your employer or you know insurance company or who's liable for, or whatever. You're filling that out because then that tells the billing representative for the the medical facility, oh hey, this is workers comp. I need to reach out to this employer, get their insurance information, start a claim number. And that kind of helps both the injured worker and the insurance company keep everything straight just from the outset to just go ahead and put it on there. And I have had a lot of people, I've had a lot of construction claims in the past where, you know, you have an employer who is afraid of their workers' comp carrier canceling on them or something like that. Um, And they'll tell the injured worker, well, when you go, don't tell them that this happened at work. Definitely, you want to make sure that you're being 100% honest and open with both the medical providers and the insurance carriers when it comes down to how the injuries take place and um, who the employer is and any other issues such as car insurance or anything like that. So, so I'm glad you mentioned that because I, there's still so many people and I cannot believe in the litigious society that we live in today that people are still paying employers under the table or part of their wages, you know, quote unquote, under the table, off the books, cash. I urge any of you that are receiving payments in cash and any business owner that's paying in cash to please stop it. There's so many ramifications of that. I, we, we could spend hours and hours, but one of the things where I see a lot of people get caught because I have, you know, besides the industry I'm in, I have friends and, and I work with people all, you know, all different industries. And one of the things that always gets them caught, we'll say, is somebody gets injured on the job and they go in, they say, this is workers comp. And then there isn't any workers comp because there's not any record of this employee because they're getting paid under the table or off the books. And so, you know, if, if you get hurt or injured, it, this is a pretty serious thing to not be able to have a claim or, or do that. And as an employer, you're going to be in big trouble for doing that. There's just, there isn't any reason to be doing that today. I right. just, anybody, I mean, well, and I just want to clarify stop it. Yeah. And I just want to clarify a little bit on that. I know you mentioned, you know, having an illegal employee who you're paying under the table. Um, And just to be clear, those injured workers can also get compensation through workers comp, even if they are an illegal employee. So um, essentially the way that that works is as long as the employer knew or should have known what their status was. So if there were any indications at all, if they gave you, I don't know, if they said, I don't have a bank account, you have to, you know, direct deposit my checks to my wife's account or, you know, just sketchy stuff like that, that might come up um, that would put the employer on notice that, oh, okay, this person's probably not legitimate. Those types of people can still be entitled to workers' comp coverage as well. I've had, it was like a 19-year-old boy who fell off a roof with a company and was a quadriplegic and was from a different, I believe he was from Mexico and um, ultimately was never obviously able to walk again, 
but we were on the hook for the workers' comp care, and ultimately we had to uh, renovate his home to make it wheelchair accessible. And that was a that was a pretty big settlement because you're dealing with someone who doesn't speak English and is from out of the country, and essentially is an illegal worker and can't just go find another job at the McDonald's up the road. So. In right. a, a detrimental injury like that, that causes permanent disability could be a big deal. I've also seen where companies encourage their people not to go and report as workers' comp, as you mentioned, and that they, there was one I was speaking to recently, and I, my head just wanted to explode because and they thought this was a great thing for culture and all, but whatever, let's just pretend their workers' comp would be $10,000, the premium for the year. They encouraged everybody not to report any injuries and just let them know and they would pay for whatever visit. And whatever was left out of any little incidents or whatever happened, they would split that money amongst the employees. So it was like a bonus to them. So, so they were being... Uh, incentivized to not report injuries that later on, you know, really could be problems. So what about employers? Because workers' comp does have a bad rap, and there are a lot of people that take advantage of the system. Again, we could spend hours on stories, but I know of one person years ago I worked with that literally worked there a week and reported carpal tunnel as happened there. In 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 a, in a week, and and she won and got a claim, and they I, I, like, how do you not like sweeping or whatever motion? She's like, I don't do anything at home, and I, I felt so bad for our employer because there's just no. I, I'm not a doctor, but I watch them on TV, and I I you know that somebody just developed carpal tunnel in a week it just to me sounds far fetched. So, what can employers do to protect themselves, or is there anything that they can do? Right. And yeah, on that, I I generally use the smell test when it comes to a workers' comp claim. And there is, a at least in the state of Florida, there is an Office of Judges of Compensation Claims website. And I mean, it might be something that you would want to consider even at the hiring stage of employment where you just go on there and um, I can send you guys the link so that way you can see what I'm talking about. But uh, you would go over onto the left hand side on the OJCC home website. It says case search. You can just type in their name. And any and all of their prior workers' compensation claims in the state of Florida will come up. So I like to do that just for my clients when I bring them in, um, just so that way I know, okay, is this person a frequent flyer when it comes to workers' comp claims, or are they, you know, a legitimate, you know, person that's just going to tough it out if they, you know, hurt their pinky on something? So there's that, and there's also, just so everybody's aware, there is no HIPAA rules in workers' comp. So that normal physician-patient relationship that you have with your doctors um, and the HIPAA forms that you have to sign and all of that, that doesn't exist in workers' comp. So essentially, yeah. So anything that you say to your doctors in workers' comp is fair game. And, you know, sometimes I see stuff in in medical reports for my clients that um, I wish wasn't there. Uh, so, but then it can go the other way for the employer. You know, sometimes you'll get a, 
a medical report from a doctor that will say, oh, this guy told me that he previously, you know, hurt himself three weeks ago, uh, but he's here in relation to a worker's comp claim or something like that, you know. And so you can get access to all of those records uh, from an employer standpoint. And if you have questions about the legitimacy of a worker's comp claim, you can reach out to your insurance company and they can provide those to you. Um, It just depends on ultimately how involved you want to get. But I think the best way Um, thinking about that and the fact that there's no HIPAA in workers' comp. And, you know, as an employer, you do have the right to access that information. That brings me back to the importance of establishing a facility, even if you don't ultimately end up submitting the claim through workers' comp. You could, you know, just have like a letter on file or an authorization form on file with that facility. I'm sure each facility has a different form that you can fill out and just say, okay, in the event that anything happens, we as an employer will agree to pay for your first visit with the urgent care. But before you can come back to work or return back to work, you have to get a copy of your medical report and bring it into us and you get to review, you know, not only what their alleged injury is, but in the initial consultation, those doctors ask about all of the past medical history as well. So you can kind of look at that report. The initial reports are very important and see, okay, well, I know that this guy had prior issues. Did he tell the doctor about that? Or, you know, and kind of does it pass the smell test and go from there and then use that and any additional information that you have and provide it to the insurance company. And I know that sometimes there can be rifts between the employers and the insurance companies as well when it comes to the rates of the workers' comp. You don't want your rates to go up. You don't want them to be scrutinizing your employees or, you know, your hiring process and what you do. So sometimes the employers will withhold information from the insurance company. But the whole reason why you have the workers' comp insurance is to protect yourself. And the insurance companies have a fiduciary duty to look out for the best interest of the employer. And what they'll do is they'll do all kinds of investigation. And I know, like you were saying earlier, um, some people will say, oh, my gosh, you know, my arm hurts so bad. I can't do anything. But then the insurance company will hire a surveillance company who will go out and get video of them, like putting Christmas lights up on their house or, you know, doing whatever. And so I do like to tell employers the more transparent you can be with the insurance company, the better. Because, you know, I know it might not seem like they have your best interest in mind, but they do. They really do. Um, And it helps kind of mitigate those types of claims from going forward. What about if you have in your SOPs and you have constant training and there's things you tell your employees not to do or is not permitted or that they need to do and they ignore it and then get hurt. So let me give you a couple examples. I've seen people with told don't wear your wedding ring or don't, you know, don't because if your finger gets caught that and it's in their written policy 
you know, you can't wear jewelry or you can't wear a wedding ring or you must wear safety goggles when grinding something. Mm -hmm. And they ignore the SOP that's in writing and all of that. And so the person that's grinding without goggles gets something in their eye or the person that wore the wedding ring against what they were told loses a finger. Mm -hmm. Are the employers off the hook because they had that in writing? The employees knew they weren't supposed to operate things without the proper safety stuff, or do they still need to cover that? Will that still come out of their right, kitty, right. so to speak? Yeah. The short answer to your question is when it comes to workers' comp, no. Like the the, the injury, it doesn't matter how it happened. The liability and negligence is absolutely no factor in Florida workers' comp. However, um, those things are helpful to employers, uh, for instance, on additional claims, liability claims, because let's say uh, there was a slip and fall and someone broke their wrist or something. The injured worker can file a worker's comp claim and then can also file a liability claim with whoever the, you know, liability insurance carrier is ah, for okay. that particular building as well. Essentially, they won't be able to get both because that would be double recovery. But, you know, Florida is a very litigious state and attorneys will find a way. So um, I do see a lot of times where there will be premises liability claims in addition to a workers' compensation claim. So that's that would protect the employer from a premises liability standpoint, uh, but it wouldn't protect the employer from a workers' comp. There's negligence is not a factor in workers' comp. It doesn't matter if I decided to for some reason, climb my bookshelf and then the thing falls on top of me. It happened at work. It happened with work property. It's it's workers' comp. There is a funny case that came out recently. We all have been laughing about it for quite some time. It's the dog case. And it made me very concerned about uh, things in the era of COVID when employees were working from home on that. And um, Essentially, what happened was this woman was working as some kind of a claims adjuster or something in, in her home and went to get a cup of coffee in her kitchen and tripped over her dog and broke her hip. So the case went all the way up to the first district court of appeal, and they said, well, she was a work-from-home employee since the injury didn't happen with something that was related to her job. And it was her dog that, which wouldn't otherwise be in a work environment. It was not considered a compensable injury. But well, thank goodness. Yeah, for that. exactly, exactly. But the court went on to say that if, for instance, she would have tripped over her printer cord or something like that in her home office. It may have been. So you got to think about those things when, you know, the employer is signing off on uh, things for their employee. I had another case where you know, I remember it was a while ago that sitting on yoga balls was a new thing at the desk for like, I guess, low back. Uh, I don't know, stability because, or something. Yeah, it's supposed to be better for your back and your yeah. core and sitting and yeah. Yeah, and I had a, uh, I believe it was a uh, police specialist who was sitting on a yoga ball and fell off the yoga ball and hurt herself. And because she had gotten 
specific permission from her supervisor to sit on the yoga ball that was considered, you know, and so it was just, it's stuff like that, that you wouldn't think about. And you know, that the employer will condone like, Oh yeah, I don't care if you run that errand when you're on your lunch break and then they get into a car accident while they're on their lunch break. Then you have that argument of, well, were they in the course and scope of their employment or were they at lunch kind of thing? So you got to be really careful with what you sign off on from an employer standpoint to protect yourself. <laughs> I, n- I n- never even gave remote workers a, a, a thought about that. And, and we are seeing more and more of that. Of, and even if it's just a certain day a week. So I, Holy cow! My mind is blown today, Paige. I I I hope you can come back again and and speak with us some more because, you know, I want everyone out there that has a legitimate or feels truly legitimate injury to to feel comfortable and not feel like you're going to get ostracized or any retaliation to be able to go and say this happened. I feel like this is workers' comp, you know, related or, you know, some kind of injury. But I also really feel for the small business owners because there's so many things that it seems like the deck is stacked against them. And they're almost having to prove a negative sometimes or things that didn't happen. They they have to prove something didn't happen. And if it didn't happen, there's not evidence it didn't happen. Like, I just... I feel for everybody on both sides and we just, we have to be smart and we have to make sure that we're, we're listening when people ask for things, you know, like the yoga ball, you know, how will this affect the big picture? Because well, that's, and, just as, on as, that, and I know that this is, we're running out of time. Um, and, but this could be something that comes down to the actual internal structure of the way that you set up your employment relationship with employees. And there's right. a lot of those third-party contracting companies that will shift the liability from the employer onto like a PEO or, you know, like where it's like a temp agency where they send all of the employees out to several different employers. There is a way for you to set up and structure your company so that way technically on paper, all of your work employees are not an employee of, for instance, let's say, let's take my uh, mother-in-law's company, for example, American Import Auto. They're not the employee of American Import Auto. They would be the employee of Oasis, a paychex company. So on paper, they don't even get their paycheck from American Import Auto even though they show up to work at American Import Auto every single day, they would technically be an employee of the third party company. So in the event that any workers' comp related injuries ever happen, the workers' comp claim would go through the PEO or that third party company as opposed to directly against the employer and their personal uh, workers' comp insurance as well. Wow, that would be a great topic to cover because I see more companies doing that, that quote unquote least employee, and it's going through the paycheck com- payroll companies. So, uh, well, I, I know you are very busy and um, I really appreciate you speaking with us today and hopefully you'll be back because this is all of these things. Again, it's you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, most small business owners, I, I believe, are honest people that are just, you know, trying to provide a living for families, their family, 
their employees, families, and all these things come at them. And the same thing for if you're a worker and something happens and, you know, you get hurt, you're, you're there trying to do your job and sometimes things happen. And so this information is so helpful. So I really appreciate it. Anything final you want to leave our, our listeners and viewers with? Um, no, I mean, I think that I could sit here and talk about workers comp all day. You think you, you think you've seen everything and then you'll get the most bizarre cases that come up. So I'm always interested in, you know, kind of hearing what's going on from both sides of the line, the employer side and the injured worker side, because it just makes you ultimately a better attorney and a better advocate for, you know, yourself and, and your clients. So if there's ever any issues, feel free to reach out, contact me, contact our office. We'd be happy to set up conferences or anything like that. Perfect. I appreciate it. Again, all of Paige's information and as the, also the law firm uh, that she's with will, will be in the, in the comments. And I so appreciate your time today and your wealth of knowledge. And everybody, I hope you listen to this and pay attention. And if you're not doing things the way you're supposed to, you better, you better get it right because this, this could be a big thing. So everybody stay safe, make good choices and stay inspired. And I'll be back next week. Bye-bye, Paige. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Have a good one, Kim. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maximum Optane, your ride to the entrepreneur's evolution. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas, or you just want to be a guest on my show, I want to hear from you. You can reach me directly at mlpodcast at autotraining.net. Thanks for listening and keep seeking information everywhere that you can. 